At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey guys, this is Gail Kim from Impact Wrestling and you are listening to the 8-Bit Suplex Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 8-Bit Suplex here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We are here for part two of our top 25 Nintendo 64 games of all time, celebrating, of course, the uh, big milestone of 25 years since the release of the Nintendo 64. Joining me once again is, of course, Mr. Lane Farman. Lane, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I even got my my OG Game Boy uh, uh, here with me. Um, I've been playing some Final Fantasy Legend on this guy. I got it repaired, so this is this is kind of like uh, uh, getting me in the in the spirit of things. So, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, the last time I saw my old uh, Game Boy, I had just picked it up off of the uh, street after uh, my mother drove away with it on the bumper of the minivan. Oh. It around it rolled around, but you know what? It still powered on. It still worked. Uh, the sound the sound came and went a little bit, but the system continued to work. Yeah, uh, these things yeah. are durable, man. They're, they're pretty that. indestructible. I mean, yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, in any event, you know, we got our top ten to get to. But first, I'll run through a quick recap here. Uh, of course, uh, we had our honorable mentions of Pokemon Snap, Ogre Battle sixty four, Mario Party, and Mega Man sixty four. Number twenty five, we have Blast Core. Number twenty four, Paper Mario. 23 is Pokemon Stadium. 22 is Kirby 64. 21, Shadows of the Empire. Number 20, 1080 Snowboarding. Number 19, Conker's Bad Fur Day. Number 18, Mario Kart 64. Number 17, Rayman 2. Number 16, Snowboard Kids 2. Number 15, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. I realize there's a lot of twos here. <laughs> number, number 14, WWF No Mercy. Number 13, another two, Turok 2, Seeds of Evil. Number 12, Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Number 11, Banjo-Kazooie. And Lane, I'm going to throw it over to you for number 10, which is F-Zero-X. Yeah, all right. So this is like, oh, man, this is a favorite of mine. I just remember being totally absorbed into this game. I mean, this is one of the first racing games, maybe ever, definitely the first one I played, where there's like, I think, 20 or 18 uh, racers at once. Um and so, and it's so cool, so much fun. It's got this like, like hair metal, speed metal uh, soundtrack. I remember I, I loved F Zero on the on the uh, um, on the SNES, and uh, and and the style of game that that was. I don't remember what they call it. There's like some sort of, do you know what the system is where where the 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 um, animation is the track moving towards you? I, it's like Mode Seven. That's what it's called. Yeah. The Mode Seven graphics of F Zero, and then. F-Zero X like created another strand of F-Zero games. And you can actually see both of them on the, on the Game Boy Advance. Um, the first F-Zero game on the, on the Game Boy Advance is called like uh, something Velocity, I think. And it, uh, it plays like the F-Zero on the SNES. Then there's another F-Zero they made for the Game Boy Advance that uh, has a story mode and everything. And that plays like F-Zero X. So there's kind of like two kind of styles of gameplay that it, that, that it rolls with. Um, I remember I even played F-Zero GX for the GameCube and I, I was like, uh, whatever. I, I, I like played a couple tracks of that and went back to F-Zero X. I don't know what it is about it, but it feels so fast. It looks so good. Um, the graphics are so smooth. Um, maybe the smoothest polygon graphics I've seen on the N64. And uh, two, two other things I'll say about this. One is that it was one of the first games I've racing games I've played where in the, in the tournament, if someone was ahead of you, you could strategize about taking them out of, of the race and actually find that they're distinct enough. So you'd be like, okay, I, I need to take this person out 
for me to do good so that they'll get no points in this right. race and I'll get more. And so even if you're doing really poorly, you can take out the person in first. Uh, and, and so the combat aspect works super well. Um, the only other game that I have played that does it as well is Star Wars Racer Revenge, actually, for the PlayStation hmm. 2. Um, and the other thing that's so cool about F-Zero-X is that you can unlock a random track generator. One of the sort of special levels that you can get is different every time. It, it kind of looks like Rainbow Road uh, visually, and it's randomly generated. So um, one of the first games that I ever played that did that. So uh, it was super cool, a different experience every time. And so I think it's my favorite racing game on the N64, but it wasn't, people didn't play it as much. Um, I think it's by far the best F-Zero game. Like I said, GX didn't really interest me. So um, that's why we got it at number 10 on the list. Yeah, and F-Zero X, is, it's worth noting, this is another uh, first-party release by Nintendo. Um, it has some staple characters and, and a character that we'll talk about later on in, in this uh, top 10 here. Um, it was it's funny because, so like my first experience with like really fast racing games, I didn't play F-Zero on the Super Nintendo. My first uh, really super fast racing game uh, was a game that Acclaim made for the Nintendo 64 called Extreme G. Oh, okay. Uh, which okay. was a uh, motorcycle racing game uh, that was just crazy fast. Um, and, and I think that they benefited, Acclaim benefited from being out before F-Zero X did. Um, and that may be why the, uh, the uh, you know, amount of players for F-Zero X uh, didn't match the amount of players that, like, I think Extreme G probably sold more copies initially. Uh, just because Acclaim got their fast racing game out first. Um, you know, but that doesn't say that's better. Extreme G is not a better game. Uh, okay. I never played that. No, it's not. Um, it's not on our top 25, and there's a reason for that. Um, it's it's very slippy, um, but it's a, again, it's that super fast, like adrenaline pumping kind of racing game. And there's a battle mode that was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, not, I mean, if you can find, you'll probably find uh, Extreme G easier and cheaper than finding an f-zero x copy let me take um, a look f-zero x we got that for uh, 32 dollars uh just the cart that's not too bad yeah an extreme g it. yeah i'm taking a look let's see um extreme g we got oh um okay oh man this is buried uh, so, we may have to get back to that one. <laughs> so I'm finding on Google, uh, Extreme G and Extreme G2 as a bundle for $15. Oh, there we go. Yeah, $8 for Extreme G. Yeah, yeah. so it's a little a little cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably a little bit more available. Um, but yeah, definitely check out F0X uh, when you get the chance. Um, now, this is our highest rated racing game coming in at number nine. Um, this is one that we alluded to uh, last episode when talking about Conker's Bad Fur Day. But this is Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing, uh, of course, is a racing game um, that was uh, developed by Rare. It stands out um, not just because it has uh, a huge cast of characters as far as racers go, um, but it, it also has a... Um, story mode and racing games typically didn't have that it was typically you got your tracks you got your racers and we'll run four tracks in a row and if you win you win um whereas this game was like you're unlocking things um continually as you went along right so uh different parts of the island would uh continue to unlock uh, and you had to, of course, uh, I don't know if you remember the villain lane, but uh, Whizpig, I believe. Is yeah. His name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Wiz <laughs> so you had to defeat Whizpig at the end. Uh, Timber the Tiger, who is, I don't believe, seen in anything since, um, was kind of the main character, even though it was called Diddy Kong Racing. Um, there's a, it's just, it's such a, it's such a super fun game. Um, and I, I wish that Rare had made more of it. Um, but of course, after this game comes out, there was going to be a sequel on the, um, GameCube, but then Rare was purchased by Microsoft for quite a large sum of money, uh, which, uh, of course put an end to Diddy Kong Racing because Diddy Kong 
Uh, although the game was made by Rare, the characters were owned by Nintendo. Uh, at least the Diddy Kong character was. So, at least that gave us grabbed by the Ghoulies, though. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, um, but yeah. So I never. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you have uh, so you have eight different characters in the game to play as. Like I mentioned, Diddy Kong, Conquer. Banjo, of course, is a playable character in this game. Timber the Tiger, who uh, functions as kind of your main protagonist. Um, you have Tip Tup the Turtle, Pipsy the Mouse, Bumper the Badger, uh, who was my favorite player to care- play as. I don't know why. Um, Crunch the Alligator uh, as well. And then you can unlock Drumstick the Chicken and TT, which is a stopwatch. Oh, that's right. That's yes. Right. So, uh, really cool game. Uh, definitely. Um, it was uh, what was crazy was that uh, it sold four and a half million copies, um, and it sold eight hundred thousand copies from the time that it was released uh, to Christmas, um, which was at the time the Guinness World Record for fastest selling game of all time, and that is wow. Diddy Kong Racing. At- Two things I'm going to say about this that that give it the edge over Mario Kart 64. One is that there's three vehicles that each feel different and have different kind yep. of tracks. The planes. The what are those? The hovers, the hover hovercraft, yeah, and the cars, right? And then also the items are cooler and more fun to use, I think. Uh, and so, um, but both, yeah, I, I, this is the game that made me want an N64 when I <laughs> played this in a friend's house. Uh, you, there's a you race bosses, there's boss fights, um, which is another thing. You race like dinosaurs, and um, and there's a race <laughs> right. with a with a with a um. I don't know what kind of dinosaur that is. Triceratops, I think. Yes. Where you have to race them around this this mountain. Uh, super cool moment. In, in, I believe in- that the Triceratops' name is Trixie. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's a super. I mean, it's a great game. Like definitely, yeah. like go out of your way and play it. Like, mm-hmm. um, what's crazy here is is that uh, we're going into our third game here now in the top ten lane, and it's already our second game in the top ten that is developed by Rare. Yeah, um, and that is the acclaimed first-person shooter, Perfect Dark. Oh yeah, uh, not to be confused with Perfect Dark Zero that came out on the Xbox. That game is is not good. No, um, and that was part of the rare acquisition that Microsoft made. They wanted to put a Perfect Dark out, and they made that atrocity. Um, and this, but this one here that we're talking about, Perfect Dark on the N64. Uh, developed by rare it's later in the life cycle of 64 it requires the expansion pack to play um because it was pushing a lot of system limitations there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it was the first first person shooter that i can remember using bots on the 64 oh that's right um that you could play multiplayer even if you were by yourself there's also uh you know multiplayer challenge modes uh, really fun game the story um, I played through it recently again. Uh, it's one of the cartridges I still have from when I bought it originally. Um, the story sucks. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why uh, it sits here at number eight in my mind versus uh, a game that we'll get into later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a uh, really innovative game. Lots of really good weapons. Uh, you have a uh, protagonist that's a female. Uh, which is not something that we see a lot in gaming uh, still to this day, although it's gotten a little bit better in that regard. Uh, but Joanna Dark is one of the first uh, female protagonists, uh, and she kicks a lot of ass. Uh, right. You, of course, get Alvis, uh, the alien, as a sidekick later on in the game. Um, and he was pretty badass, and he had a, a, an a amazing sniping ability. Uh, probably, probably the best AI uh, teammate in any first-person shooter ever, just because he would actually, like, kill people and with headshots and stuff it was kind of wild mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I i remember this game very well many uh many hours uh of like me and a buddy sitting there playing us versus you know eight bots ten bots whatever the case may be we would just test our uh abilities and see what we could do it's so fun this is one of the games it has all these missions that you can do and i can never get very far in perfect dark i i, I guess you played through it i i can never get far because i get too wrapped up in doing all the missions which is so hard like like all, i mean all the sub objectives so, yeah the sub objectives yeah. yeah so yeah and they get harder as you increase oh the difficulty gosh. um but yeah no i i have beaten the game a couple of times the last boss sequence is very it's it's like a there's a trick to it that is a stupid trick 
Okay, okay. Uh, I won't ruin it in case anyone hasn't played the last boss and wants to. Um, but it's yeah, it's nonsense. Um, but the game up to that point is incredible. Oh yeah, and I just can't. I I, I only get to level two or three because I want to do all those sub objectives, uh, and it's so hard to do. <laughs> and so I'm still yeah. working, still working through it. But uh, it is super fun to play. It's still it's, it feels so uh, timeless. Like it feels like it was made like like not that long ago. It's a game no. that still you can pick up the multiplayer and play it, and it still feels good. Like it, it doesn't, it hasn't aged poorly. It hasn't suffered from time. It hasn't you know, um, it, it doesn't have issues that a lot of games on the sixty four have in that regard. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's number eight. Um, we are going to move right along to our number seven game. A lot of people might have this higher on their list. Uh, you and I had it slotted similarly, and we found it pretty easy to put this one in at number seven. Um, and that is Star Fox 64, which yep. of course introduces us to the Rumble Pack. It came oh, I didn't know that. It actually came with the game when you bought the game brand new. That's right, because the box is bigger, because I have the box. Yes, it is yeah, a huge... Yeah. Yes, it is a huge uh, box. Yeah. Um, It's known as the Lilat Wars in PAL regions. Oh, Um, So, of course, uh, in the U.S., everything had the 64 naming convention. Um, But, yeah, so we have Star Fox 64, the sequel to, in America at least, the sequel to the original Star Fox on the Super Nintendo. Japan and then later the U.S. uh, have a Star Fox 2 that comes out on the Super Nintendo as well. Uh, But, uh, from a timeline perspective, we didn't get that game in the U.S. Um, so our second Star Fox game is Star Fox 64. It introduces things uh, like the uh, the tank. Um, there's also a submarine that is introduced in this game. In addition, of course, to your R-wing starfighter, um, which is probably like the coolest starfighter spaceship uh, of all time. Absolutely. I mean, how could you beat like you? You would think like, oh, Star Wars, they got that locked down. No, they did it. Star Fox 64 did it, or Star Fox in general, they did yeah. it. Yeah. The R-Wing is, is such a cool ship. Um, there's a great cast of characters with Star Fox, a, a, as always. Uh, you, of course, you know you control the uh, title character, Fox. Uh, you have your team, of course, of Slippy Toad, Falco Lombardi, and, of course, uh, Peppy Hare. Um, your teammates are pretty much useless, and, in fact, you're pretty much saving their skin the entire game. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fox McCloud is, is about as cool of a character, uh, for a game that doesn't see him leave his cockpit, uh, that there can be right. Uh, you have these voice over pop-ups, um, of course, in the original Star Fox game, it's just like, right. So, um, but they did, of course, have limitations for the sound. As we mentioned, the sound chip on the Super Nintendo didn't have a whole lot of space on it. Uh, but we actually do get spoken word uh, in Star Fox 64. Um, there's, you know, Fox's uh, dad uh, is in this at the end. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, it's really crazy. Um, the depth of this game that like wasn't it didn't exist in the first one the original game is just on rails in your spaceship you go from point a to point b you shoot everything in between this game introduces some levels that are on rails but then also there are those big, right. big mothership levels that are basically an arena where you can go and you have the u-turn ability uh, right. that they've added on to this and like it seems so stupid now that like oh doing a u-turn in a spaceship oh but you couldn't do that in games before this. So no. it was like such a weird mechanic to like point to him like, Oh, you can turn around, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. But it was super awesome. Uh, uh, like I said, the, the tank before was called uh, the Landmaster. Oh, that's uh, right. And then the Marines just called the blue Marine, you know, very not uh, creative there, uh, but it is uh, Star Fox 64 also picks up on the uh, gameplay aspect of Star Fox of the kind of choose your own adventure. I love that. You have uh, so different cool. different paths that you can take to finish the game, uh, and one could say that you haven't actually beaten it unless you've played every single level mm-hmm. possible. I certainly subscribe to that when it comes to Star Fox. Me uh, too. So yeah. yeah, I know you're you're similar in a completionist yeah yeah, uh, yeah. fashion. For me, like uh, and to this day, I'm not. I consider myself a completionist in that I have to beat every level to something, um, but I'm not a trophy hunter. I I don't care about that. 
No, I'm with you on that. I'm a trophy hunter with games I really like. So like I got a plat on the seven remake, for instance. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm totally with you on, on who has the time, right? Like, and some of these games, like me right. and my brother play Sea of Thieves. If you were going to be a trophy hunter for Sea of Thieves, you would have to literally devote your entire life to that. Yeah, so. and, and I don't have that in me. I just no. don't. Um, no. But yeah, but that to say, uh, I don't know if you've got anything to add uh, here for Star Fox. Um, just a little bit. I, I think so. A lot of games, I usually make the claim a lot of Nintendo games have their best best uh, version of the game is on the uh, is on the Super Nintendo rather. So there's a lot of franchises where I think it tops out, right? Like Metroid tops out on Super Nintendo. Um, I think Mario, arguably, I think uh, Super Mario World is probably my favorite Mario game, right? So a lot of them top out on Super Nintendo. Star Fox, and I would say F-Zero, is unquestionably, Star Fox is definitely unquestionably the best game in the franchise on N64. Uh, yeah. I don't think it gets close to that after no. this. No, it, it, and it's yeah. because they try to do a bunch of different things. Yeah. Right? And in the same way that, like, they try to do different things with Mario, but they still release core Mario games. For whatever reason, we get these different Star Fox Adventure, right. Star Fox, I think it's called Armada. Um, Assault. Assault. That's that what one. it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, that just don't work. I mean, <laughs> Adventure is fine, but that's not what you play Star Fox for. No. And and you were mentioning in the cockpit, uh, the whole thing for Assault is, oh, he's out of the cockpit now. Uh, in right. like a, but, but it's, yeah, it's not. Not the same kind of thing. I was like one of the only people who liked the the Star Fox Zero on the Wii U, and I got all the medals in it and everything. I'm not going to try to make the case that that's as good as Star Fox sixty four though. <laughs> so, yeah. that that might end the uh, podcast uh, early. If you yeah, know. yeah, I think so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a really excellent game. Um, and and moving from this point on, right? So these top six. These games, I mean, the margins of difference as far as like ranking them, yeah, um, it gets very slim, yeah, it, and there's it, there's nitpicky things that go into the rest of this list, uh, really and truthfully, yeah. um, and so for the listener to understand, these six to one, you can take these top six and re-rank them however you want. I don't think it's arguable that these top six aren't the top six. Just where you would place them. Uh, you and I had different looking top sixes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But all of these games were pretty much the same as far as yeah. top six game. Um, and the only one that you had out of your top six that I had in my top six is our number six game. And yep. that's Super Smash Brothers. Um, yep. And and really simply, uh, there's been plenty said about Smash Brothers, so I don't know that we need to take a, a huge amount right, of time right. on it. Um, but our reasoning for keeping this lower is that it's the almost worst version of what we have. And so it's kind of suffers from what we know it can be. Mm. Yeah. I think it's the worst smash game, uh, but it's kind of like, it's hard to, to rank because it's like, it, it created this thing. That's this huge, um, <clears throat> you know, franchise. Now I personally am better at the N64 smash than the other ones. I can actually beat people on the, on, on the 64 version uh i can't i don't stand a chance against them on the newer ones so. yeah i mean super smash brothers on the 64 too is also the the simplest in terms of uh you know what the characters can do the moves yeah. you know the the saves and different things like that um you know we have captain falcon as a prominent character um in that game as an unlockable character um and you have uh you know uh ness shows up in that game uh, which is something that you know we don't see Ness hardly ever in in Nintendo uh, post Super Nintendo. I don't think I, did they. I don't even know if they released an Earthbound game since the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe so, I know it was on the the, the classic system. Yeah, right. right. So um, you know, of course, uh, which is uh, you know a different game name in Japan. Right. Um, but you know, we have we have characters that they resurrect for this kind of thing. Uh, and then you have your your main characters, you know, Mario, Luigi, Donkey Kong, Link, of course, from Legend of Zelda, Samus from Metroid, uh, Fox uh, from Star Fox. Uh, so, you know, you, you get a decent amount of characters and it creates this, you know, this fighting genre uh, that has been duplicated um, and not successfully, I might add, um, by a lot of different companies trying to kind of, uh, you know, there's Cartoon Network uh battle smashers or some nonsense 
uh, where you can play like, you know, Johnny Bravo versus Danny Phantom or something like not Danny Phantom, <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just uh cartoon. I'm going to pull that up because I, it's such a, yeah. Battle. I remember playing that game. I played that game in, in the Walmart on the demos. One of the last, the demos uh, <laughs> that I played in Walmart actually. Yeah. So that, okay, come on. I hate this. I get the, wasn't there like a PlayStation All Stars that people said was kind of okay? It was not okay. People like <laughs> people, yeah. So people think that it is. So Cartoon Network Battle Crashers. Oh, okay, 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 okay. And then there was the PlayStation uh, Battle Royal All Stars or something crazy. That has like Sackboy well, and Nathan Drake and, and so stuff. it's yeah PlayStation's uh, PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale is the name of the game, and it is possibly the stupidest matchups of, of characters because <laughs> uh, you have a big daddy from bioshock you have kratos uh from god of war you have sweet tooth from twisted metal uh sly cooper uh parappa the rappa the enemy from kill zone and then nathan drake so oh, you have isn't isn't is can't you get medieval can't you get uh uh the guy from medieval too i don't remember his name oh daniel fortescue uh I don't, that just I, my fan no, fiction? i don't yeah i think that's your fan fiction version you can't do that <laughs> uh, but then say um yeah i mean the the game uh you know smash brothers is definitely a game that inspires a lot of different stuff that's come out um you know it's it's fine uh, it, it's a good game it's really good and um before uh you know before we get out of this uh game i will say uh the cartoon network characters in that battle crashers uh has you know finn and jake from adventure time oh gotcha. mordecai and rigby uncle grandpa yeah. steven universe um and yeah it's just i don't know like why well, it's just why it's just- i one game the only one that i can think of that's good is power stone on dreamcast which is a great game power stone and power stone 2 uh our arena <clears throat> battle games that that i think are worth checking out yeah but they're also on the dreamcast so they didn't have quite the uh yeah yeah the the popularity that they should have exactly and, and we may we may have to do a love letter to the dreamcast episode at some at some point here because i would love that uh, i'm actually working on getting a full library that's my next goal so we're because uh, it's not hard there's nothing on the dreamcast that's super expensive not a single game that's like you know right one of these holy grails so it's actually a pretty achievable full library so i'm, I'm working on it uh, that might be something i have to work on too and then we can we can you know hammer that out but uh, go. we got a top five here lane to uh to kind of right. get through and and why don't you kick us off here on number five okay uh well so i james bond is like one of my favorite things uh i think the first movie i'm gonna see post pandemic is no time to die uh, in November, I'm going to hold off until then because I want it to be as amazing an experience as possible. Uh, but GoldenEye, still the best James Bond game ever made. Uh, probably one of the best multiplayer games ever made. Uh, did you come over that one time when we played when we played this and watched GoldenEye in the same night? Yeah, I th- that sounds like something we did, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, super fun. Uh, you, lots of people have memories of the of the multiplayer mode being awesome but then the main game people don't talk about it as much you know the missions and the story mode is is awesome and super fun too i actually um i love the story mode i actually enjoy the story mode more than the multiplayer um just because the multiplayer a lot of times it's just the quickest draw game uh because it is the 64 it does have the auto aim yeah um you know if you turn auto aim off it makes it a little bit more challenging but also can make it a little bit stupider. Yeah, right, um, right, right, right. right. Uh, and then you know there's slappers and all that shit too. Yep, and yep, and yep. um, but yeah, no, I like you said, I man, I love the story mode on on Goldeneye. Super fun. It feels like a James Bond game. I mean, I played I played some modern James Bond games that are what what's happened to James Bond lately is that it just becomes a cover shooter where you're just mowing people down and you're like, what movie does this happen? I mean, it kind of happens, but it's indistinguishable from, from other shooters. And this, yeah. this, is, this, this feels like James Bond, right? This, you got, you got the, the missions and the gadgets and, um, and so, and the exploration. Well, and the and, best part of it too, about the story missions is that it is closely aligned with the movie that the license is from exactly. in that you are actually playing through the movie yeah. And I think a lot of games that borrow a license from a movie don't do that effectively. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but this one yeah. actually does. Yeah, it might be like one of the only good, like not only one of the handful of really good movie tie-in games uh, or really fantastic, really great movie tie-in. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can play that game and know what happens in the movie exactly. Yep. yep. You feel the betrayal of Trevelyan, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> right in your face as you're playing that game. Right? Oh, yeah. I, like, I don't think you miss a whole lot from a story perspective or from a narrative perspective playing that game versus the movie. Uh, there's obviously, there's great acting performances in the movie. Uh, Pierce Brosnan's best uh, James Bond movie, in my opinion, oh, as well. Oh, yeah. Because um, yeah. he gets worse as the as the movies go on. Um, that's, a, that's a topic for another podcast. Um, right. But uh, yeah, this game, I mean, super awesome. Yeah, I think I, I got the story of Goldeneye from this game. I think a lot of people did and then saw the movie later and it was the movie just kind of filled in the gaps and you already kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, I think the only thing that you miss uh, in the movie that you don't get from the movie that's in the game is when Xena kills people by having sex with them too hard. Um, right, 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 yeah. Which, you know, like, no, I, and I think that that's also like, if that's a thing, I don't want to experience it. I'll be honest with you. That seems, yeah, just, no. that seems a little unpleasant. It doesn't sound fun. Um, uh, oh, and the other thing I remember, the only other thing in the movie that I wish was in the game is the scene with um, Alan Cumming and the, and the, or is it Alan Cummings? What's his name? Yeah. And the, yep. uh, and the pen. That's like yes, one of the best yes. bond like scenes. That's one of my favorite scenes in like any. Yes. Any the cooking, the, the clicking of the pens. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know if you've tried to do this. I've tried to follow along with the clicks. Oh um, no, I've never and, tried. And, I, and I, it, yeah. I lose count. Like, yeah. I just can't. I'm sure it's accurate. <laughs> I'm sure they made sure to like, to not screw that part of it up. But I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold them to it. I'm gonna count the clicks. And then they have like seven clicks. I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm yeah, done. right. No, it's, it gets so hard. Yeah. But no, um, that that he is in the game and you can play as him, as that character. Yes, but in that the multiplayer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it's also fun. If you get super frustrated, you can shoot him in the single player mode. And it, I mean it makes your mission uh fail. Um, but it's also super satisfying to just reload that mission and just you know. Yeah, no, I, like you're an idiot, and just how you know, could you resist? Yeah, you know, your uh, your KGB or whatever that gun is, the KBJ, KBG. I don't, I don't remember. remember the club. That's what I was going for. Oh, that's right. That's I don't, right. I don't know why I'm using <laughs> trying to make that an acronym. It was the club. Oh, no, that's okay. That was that's the gun okay. I was thinking of. <laughs> of course, we got to use. Uh, but again, uh, I this is another game developed by Rare, um, and uh, so we're at. Uh, three rare games uh so far in the uh the top 10 and uh we're not done uh with rare um i believe uh we'll oh, come back oh. to uh rare certainly and it is worth noting that uh after star fox 64 i believe rare took over uh the next star fox game so they have some they have their hands there as well nice. um but number four uh, I think is going to be a real interesting uh, eyebrow raiser for some people because a lot of people uh, put this number one uh, or number two. It is, uh, I'm going to take you back to 1996. Uh, my brother brings home the Nintendo 64. Um, we get it set up on the TV and we turn it on and the start screen is just a giant 3D face of Mario that you can use your controller to grab and pinch his face and stretch it. And we did that shit for 45 minutes before we even started playing because we couldn't believe how great the game looked. We were like, this is the best thing ever. Video games will never look better than this. I can't believe that we have this in our home. And we played Mario 64 as many times as we could. And I, I since introduced it to, to Nolan, um as part of like the uh the, the super mario uh anniversary collection that, that came out on switch but man super mario 64 um yeah. what this, what else what else yeah. is there to say i don't even know i i have never gotten all the stars what is there 240 or 120 i've never gotten them all 
Uh, I haven't either. I, I started to on the anniversary. I, I've been trying to. Yeah. And there are some that are still, as a 31-year-old adult male, um, I am completely unable to, yeah. to, to get without but, like extreme frustration. Yeah, and I was telling you before about Mario Odyssey too. When I'm playing Mario Odyssey, it's reminding me of moments in Mario 64. It's just such a cool thing where you got this big area as a platformer and they have to design the platforming as you as you explore the area it's a really interesting challenge that's even something like mario 3d world doesn't really do that because it's still linear that's more of a adaptation of like the older mario games but in a 3d environment right well what super mario 64 did that was so cool is it integrated that platforming into the into the world you know uh and and then you just had to find it was a lot about it was a lot more about exploration and and as I play Mario Odyssey, it's just making me realize how good that game really was. It makes me want to go back and actually try to get all the stars um, because there's the secrets are really cool, how they're hidden in each of the areas. And there's there's uh, and um, there's nothing that really feels unfair, um, like uh, some some games that have those kind of exploration aspects. Uh, I think they fixed it in Mario Odyssey because the ones that are harder, you can just pay Toad to tell you where it is. Right. Uh, in Mario 64, there's not really that many that are that are in that kind of ballpark. So anyway, great game that that I'm just reminded of how good it is with every new Mario game that I play. Yeah, it's definitely one that, you know, once we break out of the 2D world um, and really get into that 3D, we see the the influence that Mario has, not just on future Mario games, but Mario 64 changed 3D development for video games altogether right um the the next franchise that we'll talk about borrows a lot of that from um mario 64 um but before we move on to that i mean super mario 64 took the idea of a camera being around your character and they actually i don't know if you remember this you actually there's a, a Lakoto. Um, that follows you around with a camera and that's oh, how they great. explain that you can see mario they have to make a story they have to they, they decide it. they didn't yeah. have to do that they just <laughs> they just it's like oh this is this, this is why right um i wish for the anniversary edition they cleaned up the controls a little bit made them a little bit more precise uh but they literally it's a true port uh <laughs> it's basically a, an emulation of of uh super mario 64 altogether um but it's it's still it's it stands it, it's a game that doesn't when you make a really good platformer it stands the test of time because it's not a game that requires the graphics to be cutting edge it's not a game that requires voice acting right i mean it's literally like you're playing mario and everything is awesome the ominous bowser uh, you know you know laughs and things like that that happen um it's just awesome and there's like you said i mean you can beat the game and as little as like I think sixty stars, or you can keep going and try and get all uh, I believe one hundred and twenty, um, and then you can unlock secrets and uh, yeah, it's just it's nuts. Great well, game. Also, if you haven't checked this out yet, you've got to look at a couple of things. First of all, this game has become sort of a classic in speedrunning, uh, yes. and then speedrunning it doesn't it's it's even it gets crazier than that. So definitely watch the speedruns. That's like for a game with controls that are kind of a little bit imprecise. These these folks <laughs> have it down. Right. And then the other thing you got to check out is there's people who mess with the uh, like code of this game and glitch. They glit, they mess with the glitches yeah. of this game. It's very slippery. So they do things like um, there's challenges where you um, you can do a run of the game while only pressing a like four or five times, basically. And the way that they do right. that is they they leap to alternate like they call it like alternate dimension. It's almost like quantum mechanics and they're leaping through and leaping back by by messing right. with the uh, mechanics of this game yeah so, yeah there's glitch runs that are i mean you can beat bowser in like 45 seconds yeah uh, so i mean right? it's, it's it's nuts that's kind of opened up this whole new way of playing that game uh and i think it's probably because it was one of the first that some of those uh areas are kind of malleable and you can play with them and so that's just another, it kind of gave the game another life for those kind of gamers so yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it's super good i uh, can't really say anything uh much more about it um but if you have if you've somehow not played mario 64 uh please please do so um and another one uh you know this one if we're getting into the top three this one is 
arguably a more polished version um, of the game series. It's a darker version of the game uh, series, and it's a less understood one. Uh, but of course, we were talking about the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Um, I don't know how much time we're going to spend talking about Majora's Mask, just because you've heard us on this podcast talk about Majora's Mask. Uh, but Majora's Mask, of course, is the uh, you know the unofficial sequel to Ocarina of Time that comes out of the Nintendo 64, kind of pushing towards the end. Uh, and you play entirely as young Link, but of course you can transform into different uh, species within the Zelda universe. A really unique game, a big game, um, and one that, again, you know, kind of continued to influence the way that Zelda games uh, would go and 3D uh, adventure games in general would go uh, into the future. Yeah, I my favorite Zelda games are the weird ones, uh, the ones that do something different with the formula. And uh, this is my favorite. I mean, Link to the Past is probably my favorite Zelda game. This is my second, uh, just because it's um, doing something different with the formula. It, the mood of the game is different than other Zelda games. Like you said, it's very dark. It's very haunting. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's just really kind of an amazing thing. There's some amazing action sequences too that people don't. Um, usually they talk about, you know, the, the sort of um, the time aspect of the game and how that changes things. But I haven't heard anyone talk about like the pirate hideout and you kind of invading the, the pirates hideout in a long time. I think that's one of the best kind of Zelda action set pieces um, until we get to like Breath of the Wild, which of sure. course uh, totally explodes that aspect of Zelda. One thing I'm really excited about is if uh, is it also modeled sort of following up just like a very staunchly like just traditional solid Zelda game with something a little weird and a little dark. Um, and that makes me uh, really excited for Breath of the Wild too, because it kind of seems like they might be doing something similar with that. Um, going, doing like we did Breath of the Wild, we showed you how cool that could be. Now let's kind of like mess with that a little bit. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Sequence. Yeah, it looks like it could almost be like uh almost a twilight princess and skyward sword mushed together uh with brother yeah yeah uh of course we're super excited to see kind of where that goes um yeah i don't have much more to add to to majora's mask um it's it's a fun game it can be frustrating at times uh but you know frustration i think adds to the challenge and challenge adds to the gameplay uh you don't want something to be super super easy um but uh so we're down to our top two um you could probably work out what one of them is um but our number two game is maybe one that you weren't expecting. Uh, but Lane, I'm going to let you uh, drive here as we talk about uh, our last rare entry uh, into the, to the top 25 list. And that is jet force Gemini. Yep. This is my favorite game. Uh, one of my favorite games of all time, probably my favorite game on the N64. Uh, I don't think I've ever played a game like this completely. Um, my favorite sci-fi game like shooter uh, it is a third-person shooter, uh, but it's an adventure game. <clears throat> a couple things about it. <clears throat> it has a Starship Troopers level of gore. You're fighting uh, kind of these bug enemies. And I was amazed when I, when I first played this. You're, you're shooting these bugs, and their heads fly off. You actually collect them. Uh, super gory. Probably one of the goriest games that I had played as a kid. But, of course, it gets by because the sci-fi aspect right. of it. You kill the bosses. I mean, the blood and gore. It's yeah, just and it's worth it's worth noting that the game is rated teen. It's amazing how amazing that it that that it, that it got by with that. Um, this is one of the biggest feeling games. The the it's huge. Uh, I think that like uh, something like No Man's Sky, which was saying, "Oh, we're going to be this huge game where you can visit other planets and everything." I think doesn't even feel as big as Jet Force Gemini to me because Jet Force and because the size of the way the if a game feels really big, it's because the environments that you actually see are really fleshed out. Um, one game series I think that wouldn't exist without this is Ratchet and Clank. Ratchet and Clank really follows the formula in a lot of ways. But again, I think this game feels a little bit bigger because on top of this third person uh, action that the game has, it also has an adventure aspect where the game slowly opens up kind of like a Zelda game uh, where you get something that then allows you to do something else in, in this area. So you, you go back to that area and there's a lot of secrets, a lot of areas uh, that, that you can only find, you know, because it's slowly opening up like that, you can play as multiple characters. I mean, this is just one of those games that astonished me. I, I had heard about it. I think I played it when I was in high school. I knew that it was a good game. It was a rare game. Not a whole lot of people talked about it. 
I played it and it totally blew me away. So not not only is this probably my favorite N64 game, this is uh, one of my favorite games of all time, Jeff Force Gemini. And it is, uh, if you buy the cartridge only, I'm, I'm just on Google Shopping, you can find it for like 30 bucks. Uh, so if you have a 64 and you haven't played Jeff Force Gemini, uh, definitely uh, worth picking up, especially for that cost. Uh, there is one that's brand new sealed in box um, and that's $700. I don't know that you want to do that um, because you can buy a case with no game for 10 bucks and then you can buy the game for 15 bucks um, and you've saved yourself a fuckload of money. So I, I yeah. can't, I can't evade. Uh, if listen, you probably shrink crap it yourself for cheaper than 700 bucks uh, oh, yeah. is, well, is what I'm getting at. The only other thing I'll add, one thing people don't like about this game is that uh, is the mechanic of the rescue mechanic. You rescue these, uh, the tribals, which are these uh, kind of koala looking, Ewok looking creatures. The reason people don't like it is because the bugs will absolutely destroy the tribals if they get a chance and there's permadeath with them. So if you are trying to be a completionist and you're going through this level and, and just on one side of the screen, and they get they die just like the bugs their heads fly and so uh that's a very difficult aspect of the game and for me of course when that would happen i would reset the game because i had to re- and, and the other thing you can't get them to go through the game so kind of it's a little bit like metroid we have to go back through the stages some people didn't really like that to me i had a blast revisiting the stages and finding all the little tribals all the little bears and rescuing them so again something that some people didn't like about the game i thought it was super fun uh, you just have to reset your console a lot when they get exploded. So, um, well, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's something that happens, uh, you know, a lot in, in those games and in, in that era of, uh, you know, trying to uh, play through and, and figure, you know, things out. There's a lot of trial and error um, in yeah. console games. Um, but so um, there is uh, some, you know, there's some replay availability with that too. Uh, that I think Absolutely. really rings true. Um, but that brings us, uh, of course, to our number one Nintendo 64 game. Um, it is maybe not the best, maybe not the most polished, but because of what it meant to the system and to video games as a whole, and as, as we continue to play games in, in 2021, what the, what the video game industry has become because of it, um, it has to be, of course, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, I remember putting this cartridge in uh, for the first time and just the opening showing the expanse of the field and showing the horses running across the, the plains of Hyrule and just being completely taken aback and blown away by like the depth of field that you watch, the, the light from the sun that's coming through, like it was just it was nothing that you had seen before there was a day night cycle that you know reflected the game played differently if it was nighttime there was different enemies there was places that you could go i mean and technically you could kind of go anywhere you wanted at any time um you might not have the right item to get into the dungeon or to solve whatever the problem was in the next place um, but then there's also like time travel and it's just it's just some wacky uh game mechanics that Nintendo sat down and, and really hammered out a really incredible game. I think what's amazing about this is that uh, the blueprint in my mind for a top-down Zelda game is linked to the past. And that's something that they arrived at after several Zelda games, right? The blueprint for a 3D Zelda game was the first one out of the gates. Yeah, This is still, still is. the one. And that's really incredible to me. Uh, it's also incredible putting myself in the, in the position. I don't ever remember, I was too young you know, looking forward to this or whatever. But when this was announced, Ocarina of Time, what is that? You know, I now the game is sort of in the canon of great games. I mean, most of you listening probably knew that it was going to be number one. Oh, Ocarina of Time, whatever. It's become like a, like a yeah. staple. But before it came out, I just, I just, it's hard to get in that headspace Ooh, when it was announced. Oh, what's an Ocarina? Ocarina of Time, what? It seems much more daring and bold uh, when you think about uh, the invite, you know, the, the gaming environment that, that existed. Before. Yeah. I mean, they, they built a game around a concept of a magical musical instrument that most people <laughs> in my orbit had never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, to make it so that you can, you know, become an adult version of link, which we were used to seeing. Um, we hadn't seen, I don't, I don't know that young link canonically exists prior to Ocarina of time. Um, but you see young link, you start off as young link. 
you become adult link, which is, you know, the link that we know from the other Zeldas, but it's a different story. It's a different aspect. You have different items, different weapons that you've not seen before. And like you said, the, even like down to like the way the menu system works, it's still the same menu uh, up until Breath of the Wild, uh, really, that you used all along. Um, there's mapping to the C buttons. They use the controller effectively that way. And, and in that regard, too, it almost feels like the Nintendo 64 controller is designed with Zelda in mind. Yeah, yeah. Right? It doesn't feel like Zelda was designed around the controller. It feels like the controller was built for that. Yep, yep, um, yep. And just just simple things like Z-targeting and, and uh, you know, strafing and things like that that you were able to do by holding the Z button. Like, you didn't have that ability in a 3D game um, before that to be able to aim weapons and move um, just didn't exist, right? I mean, this is the same era that Resident Evil comes out in, uh, which uh, Jamie and I talked about two weeks ago on the podcast, where you have the tank controls where you have to stop, pick up your gun, aim, shoot. This comes at the same time that The Legend of Zelda, uh, actually, I think might predate just a little bit uh, Resident Evil. Legend of Zelda comes out and says, oh, we can run and shoot our arrows and throw our boomerang and sword fight and all of this uh, because we've come up with a way to use the controller effectively. And that to me is just, I don't know. It, it just, it feels, and obviously, you know, this is a Miyamoto game. So he's obviously involved with the development of the system itself. And it also knows how he's going to make games to fit that system. Um, so in that regard, you know, Mario and the same, I think uh, feels very much design, like the controllers designed to play the Nintendo first party games um in a way that the third party games aren't exactly but they do a good right. job in you know i, I mean I, I we saw how well rare did right based on our list alone um acclaim was a big one they had a lot of games on, on the system um uh, you know it's when you look back at the nintendo 64 it, like you said it, it's the start it's the beginning of the end of the third party development with nintendo um yeah but there's still good third party development to great uh third party development um, but this is where Nintendo, I think, really figures, you know what, we actually can make our own games and, and survive on that. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, the um, Breath of the Wild sort of represents, in my mind, almost like a third way of doing Zelda. Like, I think that that one is kind of like another blueprint. So if like Link to the Past and then uh, Ocarina of Time are blueprints, I think Breath of the Wild is similar because I think that's sort of giving us a different way of playing sure. Zelda. Um and uh but what's interesting is that in breath of the wild as big as that game literally is uh in some ways ocarina still feels bigger in my mind and i don't know if that's a nostalgia thing but i think that like the way that you sort of come across the different regions and the different like species like the goron and the zora i think that was the first game that did that and they feel a little bit more different to me in ocarina of time and then in majora's mask and sometimes in breath of the wild it's like oh we're here at the goron place where's the shop where's the thing where's this right. person where's that person they seem a little bit more like carbon copies at least in my mind and that could be nostalgia talking but to me the ocarina of time did a really cool job uh making it regionally specific and and when you're in the goron place you know there's a whole different feel and vibe to it than when you're um in the zora place. yeah and i think too like ocarina of time it's still a very puzzle heavy zelda game um and it's kind of one of the last ones that's really puzzle heavy um and has difficult puzzles um i mean we'd be remiss to, to bring up a discussion with ocarina of time without mentioning the water temple um and just the the pain of playing that yeah <laughs> that dungeon just from a puzzle perspective and then also to fight that amoeba boss uh with the hook shot and in and out of the water i mean it was just um yeah i mean the game's it's an all-timer i mean it really yeah. is i mean it, it's not only uh, on a lot of people's top n64 game uh, but it's a lot of people have it in the mix for best game of all time across uh consoles i don't know yeah. that i go that far um but for me uh but for me this is the this is the top of the tops and and in a cumulative way it may not be the most like i said the most polished or the best um but it is uh in my opinion uh you know the the n64 game when you think of the nintendo 64 to me, the first game that comes to my mind is uh, Ocarina of Time. And I think that's why, uh, you know, we got to put it number one. 
Definitely. I think you got to weigh significance and, and just kind of what the game did, you know, part of the top 10. I, I personally, like I said, I think I like the jeweler's mask more. I think I'd love to, I, you said you talk about it on the podcast already, but I'd, I'd love to have a conversation about that too, because there's moments in Majora's Mask that are some of the most epic moments in any Zelda game, right? Like the, oh, kind yeah. of what the um, oh man, what is it even called? Like the giant monster fight, right? Like, uh, what is that genre of film called again? I don't remember. The oh, kai- kaiju, kaiju, like kaiju, yeah, kaiju, yeah. That <laughs> you take part in that, and that's just amazing. And so, but, but uh, again, like you said, that's just expanding on. It's basically taking that model and saying, let's do some cool stuff with it. And, and right. there's a difference between creating a model and and then experimenting with it. So, yeah. right, exactly. And and you know, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I had a lot of fun just trying to even make a list. Uh, you know, I know we have we have both had games that didn't make the cut uh, from our list. Um, so before we get off, uh, I'll throw those out there. Uh, games sure. that they, games that were right on the cusp but didn't quite make it. Uh, Mario Tennis, uh, really fun. Um, Star Wars Episode One Racer, a really great game. Um, a, a game that had uh, you know uh, damage to your racer like no another. Uh, right. Um, even uh, since that's brutal i mean it's yeah it's it, it's, fragile. it's very fragile and if you mess up you mess up bad um harvest moon 64 to me is kind of like the uh the uh staple entry to the series they've released about four thousand of them since um <laughs> but to me like that's the one that i think plays the best um wave race 64 uh was a really fun i mean jet ski racing i, I don't know i mean i don't think that that's a genre that exists much beyond this one um beyond wave race but i thought it was a super cool game graphics are really good for that game too uh for the n64 there's a a a nighttime race um in wave race where you're racing and you jump over an orca and it's just like it's a it's a pretty iconic kind of thing like a reverse free willy uh if you will um (laughs) and then uh, the last game i'll mention that didn't make the cut but was really close is a game that uh maybe me and nobody else has ever played and that's uh mystical ninja uh starring goemon um which i really absolutely adore it's an adventure game uh and i implore you to go check it out although it is an expensive cartridge um and i have a cartridge uh but it's in storage otherwise i'd I'd send it to you to play um but perhaps when i get it out of storage i'll I'll play through it again and i'll shoot it over to you so you you're gonna have so the next time you know in 25 years when we do a top 50 list there you go celebrate the 50 year anniversary of the 64 mystical uh ninja sorry and goemon will be on that list and Um, over battle i'll play over battle uh, yeah we'll both have to yeah we'll both have to play you know we have 25 years uh to revisit this list um we hope that uh you guys all had a blast listening to both parts of this uh episode um if you have uh any complaints, uh, comments, or whatever, uh, send them over to the corrections department uh, <laughs> at Infinite Suplex on Twitter. Make sure, of course, that you're listening to all of the Social Suplex Podcast Network uh, shows. Follow on the network feed, Social Suplex, uh, and then also on our individual show feeds as well. Make sure you rate, uh, review, and subscribe. Although I believe now on Apple Podcasts, it's just follow. Um, because if you say subscribe, it has a connotation that you're paying for something, which you're not. So follow, um, add us on Spotify, you know, wherever you get your podcast, definitely make sure you go out and do that. Uh, Wayne, you got anything you want to plug? I don't, uh, nope, nope, nothing to plug. I'm writing my dissertation. I'll plug that when it's done. Uh, but uh, I always love, I'll plug this podcast. Always love being on here. Always love helping out. I'll come on anytime. Let me know when that Mega Man episode is going down. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and as we uh, close the door on 25 years of the Nintendo 64, uh, you know, notable things that are coming up that are also hitting that uh, anniversary. Uh, I believe we have the PlayStation uh, coming up as well. Um, well that'd be fun. Yeah, that one. Um, woof. That. <laughs> so the PlayStation actually. We're, so thankfully, we missed that 25 year anniversary on the PlayStation um, because that would be uh, absolutely nuts. Uh, because the PlayStation yeah. uh, came out uh, a, a bit ago, um, but the PlayStation Two is the next 25-year anniversary console. So we got uh, we got about four years until we have to do that list. So we got some time to catch up uh, that, on that one. So that <laughs> is going to be a bloodbath. There's like there's like 30 good games for the N64. There's like 500 good games for the PlayStation Two. <laughs> yeah, that so yeah, that one might be tough. Um, 
but hey, listen, if you guys stick around long enough and listen to us until then, or you want to take a four year break and listen to us in four years when we do that list, uh, by all means. Um, but yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, next time, uh, until next time, when you uh, run out of lives and you got to hit that continue, uh, make sure you go ahead and push start and listen to 8-Bit Suplex. Thank you for listening to 8-Bit Suplex Podcast. See you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.